So Matthew chapter 4, <coughs> I'm going to begin reading in verse 17 and read through verse 22. We, we left off three weeks ago in Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus' temptation. <coughs> From the time that Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their net, their boat and their father and followed him. Father, we ask today that you would speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we ask that you would give us grace to follow Jesus. And Father, we ask that you would enable us and empower us to follow you in being disciple makers, in being fishers of men. Father, we pray that you would put it on our hearts to pray diligently and fervently for the lost. God, we ask that you would put it on our hearts to share the gospel, uh, articulately to, to brag about Jesus, to share truth with our family, with our neighbors. God, we pray that you would take away our excuses this morning and that you would give us a great excitement at following you into this work. So, Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> I think that if you look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, and you just examine what is the most common way that Jesus invited people to himself, I believe that what you would find is that follow me is right up there at the top. In fact, it may be at the top. I, I actually didn't look through scientifically, but it's my impression of reading the, the four Gospels, the New Testament, that the primary way that Jesus engaged people was he told them to follow him, okay? Now, he did that actually in a lot of different ways. And so, for instance, in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Another place in Matthew, Matthew 19, 21, he told a guy, sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. In Matthew 8, 22, he said, follow me and leave the dead to bury the dead. In John 12, 26, he said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be also. And in a whole bunch of other places, he simply called people to follow him, okay? Now, in our text this morning, he adds something kind of different. It's in Luke, and it's also in Mark. He says to Peter and Andrew and James and John, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, the first thing that kind of grabs me about Jesus' call to these guys is that he has the authority to do this, okay? He, he calls them and says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And in verse 20, it says, they left their nets. They left their boat and they followed him. In verse 22, it says of James and John, they left their nets and their father. Okay, these guys are, are actually walking away from their business. They're walking away from their, their, their lives in the sense of what they've been building, what they've been, been striving after, what they've been, how they've been living, and they actually follow after Jesus. They leave, they leave something to follow. In fact, I would say to you, anytime that you follow after Jesus, you're going to leave something else, okay? 
And so it impresses me that Jesus has that kind of authority to call us away from our present life and to follow after him. In other words, I don't think you should do this, okay? I don't think you should pull up at an oil rig where guys are out working, roll down your window and yell, hey, you guys, leave what you're doing and follow me and then take off. I don't think you should do that, all right? Because I think if, they, if you have any takers, which I doubt you will, but if you have any takers, once they get to where you're going, they're probably gonna be disappointed, all right? I, I, don't, I don't think we have the right to do that in people's lives. But here's the deal. Jesus does. He has that authority. He has that right to come into your life and to call you away from your present life, to call you away from what you value and what you treasure and what you cherish and what you've been living for and call you to join him in something new. Jesus has every bit that right to call you to follow him in your life. Now, it's not always going to mean that, that you leave your occupation. It happened to mean that for Peter and Andrew and James and John. They really, they would come back to fishing a little bit from now and then uh, until after the resurrection. But really, from what we read of them, they never returned to be commercial fishermen again. Jesus actually called them away from that life. For a lot of us, that's not going to be the case. He's not going to call us away from our occupation, but he is going to call us away from the way we've been living, from the old life, from patterns of sin, from patterns of behavior. Really, he's going to call us away from looking at the world the way that we used to look at it. In 2 Corinthians 5, there's a cool passage that goes right along with being fishers of men. Instead of being fishers of men, Paul says that those who are in Christ, believers, Christians, we're ambassadors. That's the, that's the phrase he uses. Ambassadors of, ambassadors of Christ who have the ministry of reconciliation. Let, let, me, let me show you how, how Paul starts that out. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And all this is from God through Christ who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In that first verse there, Paul says, we don't look at anybody the same anymore. You know why? Because we don't look at Jesus the same anymore. And once we looked at Jesus differently, once we saw that he is the son of God, that he's the lamb of God, that he's the redeemer, that he's the perfect man, that he's the one who sacrificed his own life to give us life. Once we see see Jesus rightly, man, we start looking at everybody else differently. Paul says we regard no one according to the flesh any longer, meaning we don't look at people the same that we used to look at him. Once we follow after Jesus, that changes. Now we don't look at people anymore as far as how much they have in common with us. That, a lot of times that's the way we look at people. How much, how much like me are you? right? You know, do you talk like me? Do you dress like me? Do you like the same things? Do you eat the same food? Do you speak the same language? Are you the same color? Do you look like me? No, 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 no more. Paul says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. And we've got this mission now upon us. And because of that, we look at the world differently. We leave our old life and we join Jesus in this new life. Now, what I want you to understand is that Peter, Andrew, James, and John didn't just see Jesus for the very first time when this happens. In other words, they weren't just fishing, and here comes a bearded guy and says, hey, leave what you're doing and follow after me, and they're all like, okay. You know, that, that's not what happened, okay? <clears throat> I'm not saying that's not possible. In fact, I would say probably some of you, has anybody here worked a job where pretty much anybody could have come by, you know, and said, follow me, and you'd have left it. You know, has anybody worked a job like that, you know? I and mean, it's just so miserable that some guy in a van, you know, with a peace sign on the side of it comes by and says, hey, follow me, and you're like, I might as well, because this stinks, you know? I mean, 
That's not what happened. That's not what happened, okay? Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they had already experienced Jesus. How do I know this? Isn't it cool we have how many Gospels? Four, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of Jesus from different perspectives. And so John gives us a little bit more of the story. And so in John chapter 1, we actually read the first time that Peter and Andrew encountered Jesus. Let me read that to you. So John 1.35 says, The next day, John, John the Baptist, that's who that is, was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, Come and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, right? Simon, Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon, so he goes and finds his brother Simon, and he says to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. That was the first encounter that Peter and Andrew, and then later James and John, would have with Jesus. So these guys had experienced Jesus. They'd, They'd heard him teach. They'd probably seen him heal. And in fact, when you go to Luke's account and you read the same account that we just read in Matthew about being fishers of men, Luke expands it. He tells us more of the story. And we find out that Jesus wasn't just like, you know, walking on the beach, you know, and they'd never seen him before. We actually find out that Jesus had been preaching on the Sea of Galilee and he had actually commandeered Peter and Andrew's boat to do some of his preaching. Remember that? He gets on the boat and they push out a little ways and he preaches a sermon. When he's done, he tells Peter, Peter, Go out in the deep and throw the net on the other side. And remember what Peter says? Peter's like, all right, Jesus, you know lots about spiritual things. I know about fishing. And we fished all night. We haven't caught nothing. And so this is silly. And Jesus says, Peter, go out in the deep, throw it on the other side. And Peter says, okay, it's not going to work, but at your word, we'll do what you say. He obeys Jesus' word. He throws the net out. They have so many fish in the net, it about sinks the boat. they got to call James and John, the brothers over, haul the fish in. They've got all this catch of fish on the shore now. They're mending their nets, and that's when Jesus on the shore calls them and says, I'm going to make you, you guys follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men, and those guys walk away from that. So by all four Gospels, we kind of get a picture of what just happened here, that these guys are willing to follow Jesus at his call. Now, now that makes the story even better for me, because they're not just like disillusioned with their life. They've got a great life, but you you know what the reality is? They realize Jesus is worth it. Why were these guys willing to walk away from everything that they'd known, from their business, from their family, from their fishing? Why were they able to do that? Because they had experienced Jesus and they knew what you got going is better than what we got going. And I would tell you the same thing here today. Whatever you got going, no matter how great it is, no matter how good it is, no matter how satisfying it is, what Jesus has going is better. And that's why you ought to leave what you're doing and follow after him. You ought to leave the old life and follow after Jesus. In fact, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, remember how how this, this whole passage started in verse 17, Jesus is preaching and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, in Matthew 13, there's a parable that tells us how valuable is it for you and I to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Let me read it. It's real short. It's one of my favorite ones. Verse 44, Matthew 13 says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 
You see, Jesus says, what's it like to follow Jesus into the kingdom of heaven? Well, here's what it's like. It's like a guy that's going across a field. He bumps into something. He uncovers it. He opens it up. And it is the greatest treasure he could ever imagine. It is worth more than he could ever wrap his mind around. And so he slams the door shut and he covers it up. Why? Because he doesn't own that field. That's somebody else's field, right? And then he goes home and he pulls out the, the, the Corvette and the Mustang that he's been restoring and he puts them on the curb for sale. He pulls out his golf clubs and his hunting rifle and his bow and everything, his dog, and he puts them all on the curb. And that passage says, in his joy, in his joy, he gets rid of everything. Why? Because the treasure is better. All right, And so it makes sense why these guys, having experienced a little bit of Jesus, why they would be willing to walk away from their lives when Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, it's incredibly clear from this text that following Jesus means fishing for men. Another way to say fishing for men would be make disciples or make converts or evangelize okay there's a lot of ways that we could say that right but but it's clear here that follow me means that you're going to make fishers of men in other words if you're here this morning and you're actually going to follow jesus you know what that's going to mean that's going to mean you're going to be an intentional disciple maker you're going to be someone who speaks the gospel to other people you're going to be someone who fishes for men right how do i know that well because jesus tells us here in this passage he says follow me and i will make you fishers of men now follow me means fish for men That's not all it means, all right? True, right? That's not all it means, but it doesn't mean less than that. So follow me absolutely means more than fish for men. What else does follow me mean? Well, we know from reading our Bible, right? It means you're going to listen to Jesus and you're going to obey him. Right? Isn't that what the the Great Commission says? Make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so what does follow me mean? Well, it means next week when we start chapter 5, you know, we're going to learn that following Jesus means that you, 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 don't, you don't hold your anger against people. And it means that you forgive your enemy. And it means that you give to the needy. And it means that you obey your marriage vows and that you don't lust after someone who's not your spouse. And it means you keep your oaths. And it means you don't retaliate in revenge. And it means on and on and on and on it goes, right? So follow me absolutely means the moral implications of Jesus' life. It absolutely means that. And I think everybody in this room is going to agree that that is what it means, that following, following Jesus means following his teachings about all of those things. But you know what I've found among Christians? A lot of Christians will take this, this one piece about being fishers of men, and you know what they do? They set it outside of their little box, right? I don't know anybody that does that about Jesus' moral commands. I don't know anybody that says, well, follow me means I can divorce my wife whenever I want to. And follow me means I'm going to stay angry. Actually, I do know some people that say that. I don't know any legitimate Christians seeking to actually follow Jesus who say those things. I, I do know people that say those things. But I don't know any, anybody that's actually sincerely trying to follow Jesus who just disregards his commands. All right? But you know what I do know? You know what I have met? I have met a lot of Christians who genuinely are trying to follow Jesus in, in, in his moral commands and not being angry and forgiving and, 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 and oaths and retaliation and all those things that Jesus taught us. But yet, for some reason, they feel okay about taking that fishers of men thing out, taking that make disciples of men thing out, and kind of saying, that's Pastor Jason's job, you know? That is... Pastor Daniel's job. That is my small group leader's job. That, that's somebody else's job, but it's not my job. 
and, and I'm going to follow Jesus, and he's happy with me, and he's pleased with my following, but I'm not going to do that. What I would tell you is, that is wrong. That is wrong. It is very clear in this passage, Jesus makes it crystal clear that following Jesus means making disciples. It means fishing for men. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I know a lot of other Christians who would be kind of in the middle, okay? I kind of explain this by, by um, how I feel about fishing, okay? So, if you, and I'm not, I'm not talking about spiritual fishing. I'm talking about walleye, crappie, bass, trout, okay? If you ask me, Pastor Jason, do you like to fish? Guess what? I'm going to say yes. But you know what I mean by that? What I mean by that is that if someone asks me to go fishing and it looks like it's going to be fun, I'll go, right? Uh, not too long ago, uh, Leland and Crystal asked Em and I to go with them fishing in Arkansas. And, and so we went and, and it was just the coolest thing ever. Basically, you got your Diet Coke and you're on the boat and some guy drives you out to where all the monsters are and he's already got poles and he's already got the bait all, all the, and you just, you grab hold of it and, and you drop your line down and he tells you when to stop. And then you sit there and you pull in a monster and then you take a picture. It's really fun, you know? And I, I loved it. Like we loved it. It was a great time. All right. And so when I mean, when I say, if you ask me, do you like to fish? I'm like, I like to do that. Absolutely. You know? Or even if you say, hey, there's going to be a men and, and father-son fishing deal at Lincoln Avenue. I'm in. You know, I'll be there, man. We'll, we'll, we'll be doing it, you know. If one of my kids says, you know, they don't ever say this, but if they said, you know, hey, Dad, take me fishing, I absolutely would take him fishing, you know. I mean, I, I like to fish in that way. I'm not sure about the noodling thing. I haven't done that yet. And, like, if you could guarantee me no turtles or snakes or anything, I might be in on that, you know. But, but anyway, but... I'm pretty much game, okay? But, but here's the reality. Listen, I don't work at fishing, okay? Is that, you see what I'm saying? When I say, yes, I like to fish, it means if it's not very much work, and if you're going to take me, and if it's going to be fun, then I'll be in. But do you know how many times I'm in Oklahoma City and I go back Bass Pro to look for another good lure? Never. That has never happened. You know how many times that, that I get off work and I bust it home, kiss my wife, grab my pole, and bust it out to a farm pond to, to, to do a few casts before dark? It doesn't happen, guys. It doesn't happen. I don't work at it. I, I don't study it. I don't try to perfect it. I don't try to be better at it. It's actually a lot like a lot of Christians in spiritual fishing. There's a lot of believers who you would say, do you fish for men? Do you make disciples? Do you... Do you share your faith? And, and they would say, well, yeah, if, you know, if the opportunity happens, you know. I mean, if it plops in my lap and it's fun and it doesn't cost me anything, and, and yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. I've done that a couple times. But the reality is they're not intentional about making disciples. They're not on their knees praying for the lost people in their life. They're not looking for new ways to speak truth to their neighbor. They're not engaging. They're not hunting. They're not searching for fish. What they've essentially done is they've removed the command to be fishers of men from follow me. And they've said, am, am I following Jesus? Well, yeah, I'm following Jesus. I'm following him in, in forgiving people and I'm following him in worship and I'm following him in giving and I'm, I'm following... But, but they're not intentional about being fishers of men. What the Bible is really clear about this morning, Lincoln Avenue, is that to be 
a follower of Jesus means to be a fisher of men. Jesus says, let me read it one more time. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's what's going to happen when we follow him. Now, the really cool thing is all of that works together really well, okay? So, so it's not actually two different things. It's actually one. Following Jesus means obeying and acting and living just like he did. So following Jesus means forgiving your enemy. And following Jesus means loving, loving your wife as Christ loves the church. And following Jesus means not retaliating when people hurt you. And following Jesus means being a generous giver to the poor. And following Jesus means all of those things. And guess what? When you do all those things, it actually makes you a better fisher of men. Okay? When you're loving people, when your life looks like Jesus, you actually become better at fishing for men. And then here's something maybe you hadn't thought about. Whenever you give yourself intentionally and daily to fishing for men, you actually follow him in other ways better. Absolutely. I saw this lived out in me last week. You know what happened when, when I began to engage an unreached people group with the gospel? My prayer life went from here, and, I, and it wasn't that bad. I think it's pretty good, you know. But it went from here, whew, you know. I mean, it just skyrocketed. You know why? Because I'm desperate, right? I realize that here, when, when, I, when I go out here and I'm going to visit somebody or I'm going to McDonald's to gauge some people in the gospel, I'm like, hey, God, I'm going out and I can speak the language and I know how to share the gospel and I like to talk about spiritual things and I know these people and I know the culture and I know where they're coming from and I'm excited. God, would you please bless what I'm about to do? That's you know, kind of the way I pray here. You know the way I prayed over there? God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea, you know, where to go. I have no idea how to engage these people. I have no idea. God, I am helpless. And God, I desperately need you. My prayer life went up. My, my Bible reading went up. Man, mornings and night, we scoured over the scriptures. Like, what do we do here, God? You know, Jesus, how did you do this? You know, well, you walked into a town and you said this and you did. Okay, we're going to try to do that. You know, God, I mean, he, all that stuff. We're like, God, we want to do exactly what you we're, we're looking at it as an instruction manual. All of a sudden, fellowship became more. You know, whenever I hear people say, I don't need a small group. I don't need a small group. I don't need Christ in relationships. I don't need spiritual friendships couple things go through my mind okay there's about three but one of them is this i do not believe you are engaged in the mission of fishing for men because when you're engaged in the mission of fishing for men you need other people man it comes alive like like you you want you want brothers and sisters that are helping you in this deal you're like man i am praying for my friend i'm praying for my brother my sister my mom my dad my kids would you pray for them and hey, let me, let me tell you what you can pray for. Would you go with me? I'm going to go talk. I'm going to have a conversation. Would you go with me to do that? What do you think? How, how, what kind of conversation? I mean, you're desperate for help in the mission of the gospel to the people around you. So these things work together. They work together. Now, they work together, and, and we would be lying if we didn't say that we've got excuses, don't we? All right, now here's where, here's where things get rough, right? Because we've always got these excuses. If for some reason, you know, when, whenever Jesus says, follow me, and we're like, okay, follow me in forgiveness, okay, it's going to be hard, but all right, Lord, follow me in, in, in giving, okay, Lord, it's going to be hard, but I'm going to trust you. And then all of a sudden we get to follow me in being a fisherman, follow me in being a disciple maker, follow me in, in sharing the gospel. And all of a sudden what happens? We have excuses, right? 
well, God, I don't know enough, and, you know, I, I haven't read the whole Bible through, and, God, I'm not a good speaker, and, God, I, you know, this, that, other, I don't know, I, I, I don't know the answer where, you know, whether Adam had a belly button or not, you know, and what if they asked that, and, you know, we have all these excuses. Well, I want you to notice, I want you to notice that Jesus specifically chose guys that didn't know anything. That's who he chose, Right? What's true about Peter, Andrew, James, and John? They have no formal training in the scriptures. They have no advanced degrees in religion. They have no religious credentials. They have no experience in soul conversion. They have no experience in disciple making. They're not a scholar. They're not an author. They're not a writer. They're not a politician. They're not a public speaker. They're not a leader, really, of any kind. You know what these guys know how to do? Catch tilapia. That's what they know how to do. They know how to harvest sardines. They know how to mend a net. They know how to take a boat out on the sea and how to set a sail and tack into the wind. They don't know anything about people being born again and brought into the kingdom of God. But do you notice what Jesus says? He says, follow me and I will make you. I will make you. You just follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So, so, what do we need to be equipped to be a fisherman? Jesus. We need to follow him. We need to listen to him. And we need to do what he says. Right? And, and so what do you need to do to be a fisherman? You need to follow him. Right? You, and you need to follow him in how you treat other people and your relationships and your family and, and his commands and prayer and study. You need to follow him in all of those things. And you need to do what he says. That, that's going to equip you to be a fisherman. And not only should you follow him in the word. I'm a little nervous about this part of the sermon, to tell you the truth, okay? But I, I, I raked over it several times. I was like, okay, it needs to be said. Not only should you follow him in the word, but you should also follow him in his promptings, okay? Now, just the only reason I'm nervous about it is some people go off the rails with this deal, Okay, so so let me tell you how not to go off the rails. Jesus is never going to tell you something that is contrary to the word of God. Okay, so so but you need to listen to him. And as fishers of men, as disciple makers, you need to believe that God is going to speak to you. Okay, he's going to speak to you. I, I, I bet if we had a show of hands, how many have ever felt a conviction in their heart that you should go share the gospel with somebody? Like you're just mind your own business, you're at a ball game, you're, you're at the quick stop, you're at the whatever, and you just all of a sudden hear this voice in your head, you know, you feel this conviction, I should share the gospel, okay? Let me tell you something. That's the spirit, okay? You're like, well, how do I know? Who else is gonna tell you that? You know, the devil doesn't, I mean, sometimes it's silly. The devil doesn't prompt you. I've heard people, I don't know, was that God? Well, who else was it, you know? Now, now if, you, if you hear in your spirit, you know, you're at the quick stop and you hear, I should rob this place. That's not God, you know? I mean, it's not really rocket science, you know? I mean, how do I know it's not God? Thou shalt not steal, right? I mean, it's right there. God doesn't contradict his word. And so we need to be ready. But you know what happens? I really believe with a lot of Christians, they hear that voice. Hey, you should go to your neighbor. You, you should go minister to your neighbor. You should go pray for that person. You should, you should go share the gospel. And you know what they do? Ah, I don't know. No, it's not the right time. Ah, I don't know. And they stuff down that voice. I think the more you stuff down that voice, the less you hear that voice. What do you need to be 
a fisher of men? What do you need to be a disciple maker? You need to follow Jesus. What does that mean? That means you, you listen to what he says in here, and you do it. You listen to what he says in here, and you do it. You follow him. And when you do, he'll bring a harvest. Not, not always. You, you'll have some experiences like, like mine. Where I, I think I told that in this service. Didn't I tell you about the shepherd that gave back? The, yeah, gave back the New Testament. You'll have some of that, absolutely. But but you you're being obedient to to the Father. But here's the reality, guys. I want, I, want, I want to ask you: Do you believe this about Woodward, Oklahoma? Jesus said this. He said in John four, "Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes." And see that the fields are white for harvest. And I hope you believe that. I hope you believe that. That if we will pray. If we will pray. And ask the Lord of the harvest. God make people's hearts ready. God make them ready. If we'll be relentless to do that. God will bring a harvest. If we'll be ready to speak. If we will pray and then say, God, I'm ready. God, you send me. You send me. I will brag on you. I will brag on the gospel. I will brag on what Jesus has done. He'll bring a harvest. What about those pesky excuses? What about those? I want to tell you a story, okay? And, and it's a true story. It happened to me last week. And, and I, want, I want you to put yourself in the story. This is very important, okay? Because it could have been you just as it was me, and it is us here, okay? But I'm going to tell you a story, and I want you to put yourself in the story. And, and man, God just dealt with me. Sometimes God speaks, and sometimes he grabs you by the throat. That's what he did about excuses, okay? We are standing on a hill overlooking a city of over a million people. It's an Islamic city. From everything we know, it has very few Christians in it. From everything we know, almost everybody in that city is perishing. From what we know, almost everybody in that city, if they would look back in their genealogy, their mother, their father, their grandfather, their grandmother, their great-grandfather, their great-grandmother, their great-great-grandfather, their great-great-grandmother, all of the generations for a thousand years are in hell. Because they have not known the gospel. From what we know about that city, the people who are there, they have no gospel witness. They don't have a neighbor who knows who Jesus is. They don't have a friend who loves Jesus. They don't have a a, a school teacher who's praying for them for the gospel. They are perishing. But on that hill are 11 of us. And by us, I mean born-again believers. People who, by no merit of our own, have been joined to Jesus Christ, connected to his righteousness, indwelt by his spirit. We have eternal life. There's 11 of us on that hill that had eternal life, looking out on millions of perishing souls in darkness. Now, coming up in the next chapter in Matthew, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. 
You are the light of the world. So if you, if you picture that, we're looking out on a sea of darkness, nothing but darkness. And then on that hill, there's 11 beams of light. All right? But those 11 beams of life, I, 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 light, I know this about one of those beams at least. We had excuses, right? Excuses. God, I don't know Arabic. God, I, I don't know anything about this culture. It's strange to me. God, I, I don't know much about Islam. God, I've read two books on Islam. That's it. I don't know how to engage people in the gospel. God, I've never read the Quran. I've read pieces of it, but I've never read the whole thing. God, it's not safe. We got excuses, right? You understand what I'm saying? We got, you got excuses. Okay, now, here's where the pivotal moment came. Okay, do this in your head, okay? You have to do this in your head. Switch places. Switch. Now, now you're, you're not from Oklahoma anymore. Raised by parents who took you to church and taught you about Jesus from the time you were little. Grandmother, grandfather, prayed for your soul. That's not you anymore. Now, now you're a Muslim mom. You're a Muslim grandpa. And you have no hope except for the Quran that even at its best admits there is no assurance of your salvation. There is no assurance of your eternal life. No Muslim has assurance of eternal life. It's all just a, we'll see what happens. That's all you've got. You know nothing about Jesus except what you've been told, which is all wrong. You've never met a Christian before. You're perishing. Your children will perish. Your parents will perish. Okay, so can you you make that switch? Okay, now, here, here is the important thing. What do you say to the people on the hill? And that gripped my soul. I thought, what if I'm that guy? What do, what do I say to those 11 people blazing with gospel light? I don't know how you'd answer that, but let me tell you how I answered it. I said, please, come get me. I remember thinking, I don't care that you don't know the language. You come walk by my house. You come walk by my house and you pray for my kids. Would you, would you come walk down my neighborhood and would you call out to the God of the universe to give me light? Would you, would you come and engage somebody on my block? There are people on my block that speak English. Would you come and engage them in a conversation? Would you come and live out the gospel? Would you come and let us see what joy is? Would you... Would you come and don't stop until I have the gospel? That was my answer. That's what I would say to their excuses. All right, let's change it up a bit. It's Woodward, Oklahoma. You're up on Tower Hill. Have you ever been up on Tower Hill? You can see the whole city. It's a lot better picture, guys. There's light. There's, there's, I would say there's thousands, a couple thousand at least. 
born again, evangelical believers trusting Jesus Christ alone for their salvation and bearing visible fruit that demonstrates that they're believers. There's a, there's a couple thousand at least. But you know what that means? There's also thousands more in darkness. It's a little different, but is it really different? Is, is perishing in Woodward different than perishing in North Africa? Is going to hell in Woodward different than going to hell there? It's not. And so make that switch now. If you're that guy, if you're that guy that's had access to the gospel, but honestly you've never had anybody really explain to you what it means to follow Jesus, when you think of the people of Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church, you know what you think of? You think of people that like rules. You can't figure that out. What are those dumb people? They just like following rules. See, you don't get it. And so what, what do you say to the people who have life eternal? I think, again, if I'm answering, here's what I say. Would you pray for me? Would, would you come after me? Would you engage me in a conversation? Would you love me? Would you enter into my time and my, my life in a moment of crisis? And would you pray for my family? And would you show me what a believer is? And would you show me what a Christian is? Would you give me the gospel? That's what I would say. I know we got excuses. We got them here. Just like we got them anywhere. But Jesus has said, follow me. And he said, I'll make you fishers of men. He'll make us fishers of men. We just got to follow him. God, I ask you to help us. God, help us not to be disobedient to this call. God, help us not to, to push it away as if it doesn't belong to us. Father, help us to fully and readily own the reality that, that we are fishers of men. God, that you have given us the capacity to bring the gospel, to bring the gospel to those who don't have it. And so, God, I pray that you would make us relentless in prayer. God, make us relentless in praying for our family and our friends, our parents, our children who do not know you, who, who, who are not living, connected to your life. God, give us a relentlessness to pray for our coworkers and our neighbors and, and, and those in our, on our ball teams and in our school who do not know you. Father, give us boldness to speak, to brag upon you, to share the words of life with those who need them. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.